Welcome to the North Sound Church Podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. to uh, Kenya and Uganda, and what are you going to do there? Yeah, you know, we've, we've been a part of uh, missions for a long time, and actually through Pastor Finn, he says, Robin, will you help us put together a business plan uh, that we can help pastors figure out how to support themselves? Well, we've taken this same strategy of, of breaking the cycle of poverty through small business development into Uganda, Kenya, Rwanda, and India. We do it locally here, too. So we get to go for the first time since COVID hit back to Kenya and back to Uganda, where we put on this training. It's such a cool thing to be a part of uh, Robin's ministry and to know the, the joy that he is able to bring people by giving them a means of earning a living in countries where that can be really challenging. And so the entrepreneurial leadership skills are designed around things that we may not even think about here, like chickens, goats. Yeah, yeah chickens, honey. We have three that started up during COVID for honey. Uh, one person's doing a milk chilling station where she'll get the milk from the farmer, she'll chill it, and then she'll get it to the customer because it was spoiling before that. So what's cool is it's their ideas, it's their context, and it works, and then we're out of there. We, we, you know, we're not doing it for them. The great, it's a great kingdom ministry. Would you stand? And if you're comfortable, stretch out your arm in this direction, and we're going to pray for Pastor Robin for his trip. Lord, we thank you for the gifts and calling in Robin and Danita's life and the boys. And we pray that you would be with them now. We pray for uh, journeying mercies, for protection as Robin goes. Uh, we pray for effectiveness in ministry, Lord, that not only these things that are started on this trip, but as we look over the horizon to the future, that people uh, would, would flourish, that they would prosper as a result of the work that Pastor Robin is doing, both in sharing the gospel and in sharing ways of helping these people uh, grow and, uh, and flourish. And for that, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I spied Kleenex. Sometimes uh, before um, we have elections, we have chatted a little bit as a family about, um, about voting. And um, I've never recommended um, particular people or, or things, but um, have encouraged you to vote biblical values. Um, we um, want to be a people who uh, do the right thing and they have the privilege of being citizens of the United States. And this is an important election. And um, I just want to encourage you as you evaluate, as you get out your, um, uh, your ballot, if you haven't done so already, to prayerfully consider the choices before you and those that um, you believe uh, best articulate biblical values. So we are in a series uh, where we're talking about the values of North Sound Church. And we hope that those are biblical values as well. By the way, Michelle, great to have you back. Um, you did, how much of the country did you see? A lot? Uh, well, Michelle uh, and Casey were able to um, kind of work work online, yeah, and so decided rather than just work remotely from home, they were going to go see the country. So 
that's, uh, that's pretty cool. So um, this week we're going to talk about sharing life together, which is the value of fellowship that we have. And for those of you that may be guests today, we begin uh, with a sermon uh, on Communion Sunday, and then we come back to worship. So uh, if you felt like you were gypped on worship today, you were. Uh, we're going to come back and spend some more time in that together. This week I had an email from my dear friend Daryl Bigger. Daryl um, has a PhD degree in social work and has been a professor at Walla Walla University and a colleague of mine in the Navy, my boss in fact, and Daryl just retired this year at the age of 78 from actively teaching at Walla Walla University. And um, this summer, Daryl was diagnosed with a, a very serious condition uh, called pulmonary fibrosis. Some of you may be familiar with that. And uh, so he, we've been uh, emailing back and forth. And I noticed at the bottom of his email, he has something that I think is part of his signature line and is not, uh, not unique, a unique necessarily message to me. But he quotes George Bernard Shaw, and this is what he says. He says, I am of the opinion that my life belongs to the whole community. And as long as I live it, it is my privilege to do for it whatever I can. I'm of the opinion that my life belongs to the whole community. And as long as I live it, my privilege is to do for it what I can. So today, we're going to expand on that and talk about our place in community. At the beginning of North Sound Church, we articulated some values, and one of those values is this. We are committed to one another in the context of a life-transforming community. Committed to one another, and the context is this community that, if it fulfills its mission, is going to be life-transforming. This is how we explained it 18 years ago. We said at the heart of the church is the biblical affirmation that those outside will know Christians by the love they have for one another. As a consequence of the fall and our individual choices, we're broken people who need and receive God's grace. We extend to each other love, acceptance, forgiveness, and the commitment to one another necessary for life-transforming growth. And now we're going to unpack this together and talk about what this means have you ever pondered what it means to be in community, why we actually need each other, especially in this season when the secular age that we are now a part of says it's about individualism, it's about individual autonomy, it's about my choices, it's about my rights, it's about what I choose to do, and as long as I don't think I hurt somebody else, I'm free to do whatever I would like to do. Why couldn't we, in light of this, just have an independent relationship with God? Why do we need community? In Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis makes an argument for heaven, for another world, and he extrapolates that from human longings. This is what he says. He says, the Christian says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exist. A baby feels hunger, well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim, well, there's such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire, well, there's such a thing as sex. 
If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Interesting argument for the existence of heaven, for the existence of the new heavens and the new earth. But I'd like to add loneliness to this list. In the midst of loneliness, we have a longing for relationship. We have a longing for community. God designed us for community, and when we're not connected, we experience profound loss. I want to share with you a, a picture of that loss. There are no surviving pictures of Eleanor Rigby, who was born on August 29, 1895, at 8 Vale Road in Woolton, which intriguingly backs onto Menlove Avenue, where John Lennon grew up in Liverpool. The patriarch of the family was her father, John Rigby, her mother's father, a stonemason who presided over the pokey two-bedroom terrace house crammed with five adults and infant Eleanor. Eleanor's real name, in fact, was Eleanor Whitfield, but with the Rigby family line on the cusp of dying out, her grandfather appears to have insisted that she take his surname. And that is how it appears on the family gravestone. Eleanor's father, a journeyman joiner called Arthur Whitfield, passed away when she was still a child. So she remained in the family home until shortly after her 15th birthday when her mother, Mary Elizabeth, remarried. That marriage produced two half-sisters for Eleanor, Edith and Hannah Heatley, who would become the guardians of Eleanor's memory as one by one the Rigby family passed away. But the years went by and her school friends married started families of their own. Eleanor's existence became more solitary. She was forced to eke out a living by helping her mother as a laundress. It was not until the age of 35, which was positively ancient in those days, that she was eventually married to Thomas Woods, a railway foreman, 17 years her senior. The marriage witnessed by her half-sister Hannah was a joyous occasion, but her happiness was not to last long. Eleanor proved incapable of bearing children, which was a source of great heartbreak. And on October 10, 1939, a month after the outbreak of World War II, she suffered a massive brain hemorrhage. And so at the cruelly young age of 44, Eleanor died in the same house where she had been born. She was interred at the graveyard at St. Peter's Church and had her name added prominently on an increasingly crowded headstone. Precisely one year later, John Lennon was born, and he was going to play out much of his childhood against the background of that same church. His schoolboy band, the Quarrymen, would cut their teeth at that church, and Paul McCartney would join him to sunbathe in the graveyard. Now, while the origin may be a little clear, the Beatles featured the song Eleanor Rigby in the film Yellow Submarine. It's a very sad song. I, some of you may remember hearing this. The sad lines of this song say, Eleanor Rigby, 
picks up the rice in the church where her wedding has been, lives in a dream, waits at the window, wearing a face that she keeps in a jar by the door. Who is it for? All the lonely people, where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they belong? Eleanor Rigby died in the church and was buried alone with her name, and nobody came. Julie Shulevitz writes in a recent article in the New Republic called The Lethality of Loneliness. She says, loneliness varies with age and poses a particular threat to the very old, quickening the rate at which their faculties decline and cutting their lives shorter. But even among the not-so-old, loneliness is pervasive. A survey published by the AARP in 2010, slightly more than one out of three adults over 45 45 and over, reported being chronically lonely, meaning they've been lonely for a long time. A decade earlier, only one out of five said that, and with baby boomers reaching retirement age at the rate of 10,000 a day, the number of lonely Americans will surely spike. Obviously, the sicker lonely people get, the more care they'll need, and this is true and alarming. And the more we learn about loneliness, we'll be able, to, be able to better treat it. But to me, what's the most momentous about the new biology of loneliness, she says, is that it offers concrete proof obtained through the best empirical means that the poets and the bluesmen and the movie directors who for centuries have deplored the ravages of lonesomeness on both body and soul were, soul were right all along. As W.H. Audit put it, we must love one another or die. This isn't peculiar to our time. Job spoke of a terrible state in his life when he lost everything. He said in Job chapter 7, I despise my life. I would not live forever. Let me alone. My days have no meaning. Friends, I think if we look at our lives, we've all been lonely at one point or another, but some of us have experienced chronic loneliness, and some of us may be experiencing that even today. We see the effect of loneliness in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asks, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. In the Shulevitz article, she writes about the price of loneliness. She says, in a way, these discoveries are as consequential as the germ theory of disease. Just as once we knew that infectious diseases killed but didn't know that germs spread them, we've known intuitively that loneliness hastens death, but we haven't been able to explain how. Psychobiologists can now show that loneliness leads to misleading hormonal signals, rejiggers the molecules on genes that govern behavior, and wrenches a slew of other systems out of whack. They have proved that long-lasting loneliness not only makes you sick, it can kill you. Emotional isolation is ranked as a high factor for mortality as smoking. A partial list, list of the physical diseases thought to be called or caused or exacerbated by loneliness would include Alzheimer's, obesity, diabetes, high blood pressure, heart disease, neurodegenerative diseases, and even cancer. Tumors can metastasize faster in lonely people. 
Friends, I can tell you explicitly that God's will for us is that we not be lonely. You see, God exists in community himself, the community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so, if you find yourself lonely, I want to encourage you to enter into the provision he has for your loneliness. And one of those ways is family. We all belong to the family of God, and we live it out in the context of relationships in the church. The other way is through the wonder of salvation and the gift of the Holy Spirit. I love Psalm 68, verse 6, that said, God sets the lonely in families. God sets the lonely in families. That's his strategy. That's why he made us. Now, families may not look like a dad and a mom and a 2.5 children. Families may be in a whole variety of expressions, including this, the family of God. It's one of the reasons we exist as a church, because we're placed in families. We may have finely crafted mission statements that speak of our desire to change the world, but if our church culture communicates something else, we don't get very far. And so, my friends, this morning, if you find yourself with chronic loneliness, and somehow as a family, as a church, we haven't been able to help or if you're online and watching and are experiencing that, maybe in the loneliness of your own home, we want you to talk to us. Let us know. We want to be there because God has placed us in families. As the founding pastor of a congregation, I've had the rare opportunity to help develop the DNA of the church from the beginning, from the ground up. And in my study and preparation, I was influenced in God's perspective on families by the theologian Stanley Grenz. Stanley was a professor at Regent College in Vancouver, and he died much too young, about age 55. But before he passed on, he developed a systematic theology that emphasized the community of the kingdom of the family of God. And he said this, he def this is his definition of the church. He says, the church is the fellowship of individuals who are bound together by the love present among them through the power of God's Spirit, which is exemplified by humble service to each other and the world. The fellowship of individuals, all of us, bound together by the love present among them through the power of God's Spirit, which is exemplified by humble service to each other and to the world. Why do we engage in the community of Edmonds? Why do we support a variety of ministries and nonprofits in Edmonds? Why are we engaged? We're engaged because we're called to humble service to each other and to the world. Friends, fellowship, love, the power of the Spirit is lived out in humble service, and unfortunately, we've not always been good with that. Whether it's been racial justice or national origin or wealth or perceived sinfulness, too many people have left the church feeling worse than when they entered. In his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, Philip Yancey tells the story of a prostitute who wanted to change her life and spoke with a friend about how she might do that. And the friend said, well, have you gone to church 
And she said, why would I go to church? I already feel badly enough about myself. Friends, in a healthy family, every member finds acceptance. You know this from your own family. Some are eccentric. Some have disabilities. Some are egotistical. Some are incredibly needy, but allowances are made, and everyone is a part of the family. I like the way Rainer Maria Rilke puts it when she says, Do not assume that he who seeks to comfort you now lives untroubled, among the simple and quiet words that sometimes do you good. His life may also have much sadness and difficulty that remains far beyond yours. Were it otherwise, he would never have been able to find these words. It's in our own suffering, it's in our own challenges that our character grows and we are able to come alongside others in the journey and perhaps be able to help them, even while we may be going through things ourselves. Paul was honest about his struggles. He said in Philippians 3, Not that I have already obtained this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul, this incredible apostle, that the individual who took the gospel of Jesus Christ to the then known Mediterranean world is saying, I don't have it all together. Friends, this kind of honesty in a community of people provides space for healing and growth. The psychologists... Cloud and Townsend draw three conclusions about this kind of community. They say, first of all, it's a place where people feel less guilty or ashamed because they understand that other people struggle too. When we're honest, when we're authentic about our struggles, it helps build our community because it is a safe place to share our struggles. Secondly, they get a better understanding of the standard they're trying to live up to as the one in their minds may be superhuman. How high have we set the own, our own bar and how do we deal with failure? Well, in contact with others and in relationship, we may realize we've set that bar a little high. And then thirdly, they gain hope <coughs> excuse me, and problem-solving skills when they discover that others have been where they are and have come through okay. Katie Jo Ramsey tells of her research and personal experience with pain and healing relationships. She says, Joy has come in unlikely venues, like the dingy cottage where my husband and I moved after placing his seminary education on hold to attend to my declining health. Due to joint pain, I struggled to walk across our home and do basic things like cook dinner or clean up the dishes. In the midst of my shame and humiliation, small acts of compassion stood out that much more. From the first moments of life, just as we develop and survive in response to the relationships around us, so do our brains. Social connections are so essential to human well-being that they actually share a neurological pathway with physical pain. She says, the more I discover about pain and relationships through research and my own experience, the more I see relationships as the means by which pain 
<clears throat> and corresponding suffering can be transformed. Of course, as Christians, we have a model for this relational compassion throughout the scripture. Many of you are familiar with the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a German pastor who was against the Nazis and ended up just days before his prison camp, his concentration camp, was liberated by the Allies, was executed. Before that, he had written a book about fellowship, about community called Life Together. And he talked about the importance of authentic community. He says that we can't play church, that we can't pretend we're not all sinners because that drives us into loneliness. He writes, confess your faults one to another, according to James 5. He who is alone with his sin is utterly alone. It may be that Christians, notwithstanding corporate worship, common prayer, and all their fellowship in service, may still be left to their loneliness. The final breakthrough to fellowship does not occur because though they have fellowship with one another as believers and as adult, uh, devout people, they do not have fellowship as the undevout, as sinners. The pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner. So everybody must conceal his sin from himself and from the fellowship. We dare not be sinners. Many Christians are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered among the righteous. So we remain alone in our sin, living in lies and hypocrisy. The fact is, we are sinners. And so, friends, a question this morning is, can we enter into intimacy with one another? Can we get real? Because when we can, it creates a place where loneliness need not dwell. Stan Grentz again talks about what God is up to. He says the final goal of the work of the triune God in salvation history is the establishment of a community, a redeemed people dwelling in a renewed earth, enjoying reconciliation with God, fellowship with each other, and harmony with all creation. Consequently, the goal of community lies at the heart of God's actions in history and God's ultimate intention for creation is the establishment of community. So in its own way, creation, which we talked about earlier this year, creation is actually the foundation for our hope. Our hope that there is meaning and purpose to the world and to our lives. God is working out his purposes. And although it may seem at times that the world is going to hell. In fact, God is working to bring about the goal of community that one day we will enjoy. And friends, if that doesn't give us hope, I don't know what will. I want to close this morning by sharing a story with you. It's a story of a woman who personifies what we have been talking about this morning. She had incredible potential for loneliness, and I'm sure in her life she probably experienced it at times. But she found the power of the Holy Spirit and community would carry her through. Her name was Carol K. Green. She passed away several years ago. Carol was in my Sunday school class at North Shore Church and decided to make the trek over to North Sound with us and show to help us plant this church. There were only about 20 of us or so to help us plant the church and uh, Carol Kay came along and served alongside of us. 
She had had a very tough life. She was raped as a young girl and got pregnant by that rape. She raised her son alone. She never married. And it was a joy later in her life as she suffered from cancer to see that same son deeply care for and support his mother in that time. Carol Kay suffered from schizophrenia. At one point, she was hospitalized for her condition, and she wrote a book about what it was like to be a psychiatric patient confined to a mental health institution. Her book was called Help, I Want to Get Out of Here. Carol Kay was an amazing lady. She was an artist, a poet, and one who courageously faced mental illness. And she wrote a poem, a poem that was found in her car on September 18th, 2011, and it was rescued before it was almost thrown away. And she wrote words that could be said of all of us. Her poem was called The Unexpected Journey. I arrive with all my faculties intact and dressed as if I know who I am and where I'm going. I stop gazing back at the emotional years that have passed. I realize the journey I took was not what I expected. I thought my life was well planned. I knew I would graduate from college, get married, and work in my chosen field of study. But that's not how my life's journey happened. Now the years have come and gone. I can't retrieve them or live them differently. I had an unexpected journey of life that led me here and there. Heartache after heartache seemed to arise. I'm so glad I found Jesus to carry me along. He's always there just like a song. He knew all along the journey I would make, never giving more than I could take. I am so thankful I found Jesus to travel the road with me. Now that I'm older, I can see that each step strengthened me. For a steeper climb to come, oh yes, I've been on an unexpected journey, but knowing my Savior, I have peace and serenity that other people have trouble seeing. The unexpected journey took me where I didn't have the courage to go, but in the journey, God saved my soul. God saved Carol K. Green's soul, and he placed her in this community, the community of North Sound Church, where she was loved, where she contributed to all of us through her own brokenness. And in this place, she's remembered long after she passed on to join her Savior in heaven. This is her place. And this is our place. And the place of all who come after us because we are not alone. We're the family of God. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you this morning for the fact that we are not left alone. We thank you, Lord, that not only do you live in community, but you draw us into community. Lord, help us to truly be the family of God that exhibits love towards one another and a love of the world seen in humble service. We thank you, Lord, that you launched this effort through the cross where you became the means by which our sins are forgiven. And now, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity for this Eucharist, for this Thanksgiving to say thank you. Thank you for your broken body 
and thank you for your shed blood. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a privilege for us to move from thinking about the body of Christ as the church to recognize the body of Christ broken for us. And so today we remember the cross and as we do that, we prepare our hearts. And before uh, sharing with you a time of confession, a confession prayer, um, I just want to uh, have you reminded that uh, we serve communion to all those who are followers of Jesus Christ. And so we invite you to join us if you would like to do so. Um, we'll start with this section over here and have you come down the center aisle and then back around the outside. Continue on with this aisle and then finally with this section over here. I want to invite you to stand with me, if you would. And <clears throat> we are going to take a moment in the context of communion to look at the vertical relationship we have with God and see how that is and if there's anything that we need to make right in that relationship and to look at the horizontal relationship that we have with others and see if there's anything we need to make right there. And then together we will have a prayer of confession and then we will participate in having communion together. So let's take in the quietness of our own hearts a moment to humbly confess our sins to Almighty God. join together in the prayer of confession. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and earnestly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy upon us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Mighty God, our heavenly Father, who of his great mercy hath promised forgiveness of sins to all who with hearty repentance and true faith turn unto him, have mercy upon you, pardon and deliver you from all your sins, confirm and strengthen you in all goodness, and bring you to everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The words of institution for our service are found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where we see how the early church, the first Christians, remembered the Lord's Supper. And so we are going to do the same, where we read, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread... And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, we thank you for your body broken for us, for your blood shed for us, for the great love, the love of God illustrated in your life, your death, your resurrection, and your sending the Spirit to be with us. I pray now, Lord, that motivated by your love and your great sacrifice, you would send us out into the world to be agents of that kingdom that you established. In Jesus' name, amen.